Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend and my co-host and my colleague. See how I mix that up a little bit? Yeah, look at you. Put them out of order. I just don't want to be so canned, you know. (laughs) My friend and my co-host and my colleague and my friend, Ross Ferguson. <laughs> really well done there. Yeah, well, you know, they, you, can't, they can't all be diamonds. <laughs> so if, if our podcast listeners are really true fans, yeah. they'll know the context to this. But I don't know the context of this. How are, are you, you doing, about? Jared? Oh, how are you? Of this, I thought you meant of the no, order no, of, of, the the order. of saying the things. No, no, but my question, how yeah, are yeah. you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. When, when is this episode coming out? I just like make something up about how things are going. Do you see how hard this question well, is to answer at the beginning of a podcast? It is. If you haven't like jotted down banter to yeah. talk about, sometimes we put down notes, talk about this thing, yeah. talk about that thing. Have you seen any good Christian movies lately? I haven't. To okay. be honest, I've, the the most recent movie at the recording of this podcast that that we've watched yeah. as a family, we watched it in three parts because typical family time, like you yeah, don't yeah, still yeah. have time. And I hated every minute of it. Oh. Which is The New Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah, it didn't look good. No, there's so many things that they did wrong with it. Uh, but the kids really wanted to see it, so we watched it with them. I fell asleep in our second time with it on the third time. I think I walked out the third time in our house and did something else. The number uh, of... I didn't um, like it in any form of way. Yeah, the live action versions of the animated, they don't seem to be having a great track record. No. I think... They're doing Jungle a live books. Act. I really enjoyed the Jungle Book one. That's actually one of the few that I've okay. seen. And the way, it might have been one of the first ones. But John Favreau did yeah. that, and he typically does a great job. I think he also might have done Lion King, but I didn't see that one. We watched uh, Beauty and the Beast live action was not, okay. not too My bad. My girls like that yeah, one, Yeah, that think. was not too yeah. bad. The one that I'm not sure about that's meant to be coming out is the Prince of Egypt live action. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I read some weird news report. I wasn't sure if it was fake or Interesting. real. But the Prince of Egypt live action, I think personally that would be excellent. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, it, they're going to do Moses yeah. and everything. It probably depends on who does it. Who does it, yeah. yeah how they carry it off. Yeah. yeah, I've heard just sort of mixed things about, I mean, so I haven't seen probably some of the live action ones at all, but the Aladdin one was a bomb. With Will Smith. Yeah, the people yeah, just dogged great. on that one. Yeah, it wasn't great. I've heard terrible things about The Little Mermaid and some of the others, so yeah. eh, I don't know. A few of the guys recently, some of the residents, and I think just some of the church men went to go see the new Godzilla. Oh, Did you go? I'm out. You're <laughs> You're not a Godzilla guy? I really wanted to go, but it was on a night that I had something else going on, so I couldn't go. So I still might want to go see it. I'm just, I love my brothers in Christ, but (laughs) you go and do your own thing. Now, Fast 11, when that comes out. Now, why would you like that more than Godzilla? It's it's, things blowing up, getting stepped on. but you Godzilla, drive. in some ways, is probably more realistic, yeah, actually. But, and you like the fast cars, uh, you know. (laughs) That's what it is, the fast cars. We each have our thing. Hey, do you know that I've actually changed job? I thought. I knew this. Did you change jobs again? Mm. Your academic advisor for like online students? No, not no? anymore. No, that's what you were. That's where I was. Yeah. And I'm now on You're campus. You're helping with job placement. I'm doing some ministry kind of placement and help, help there as well as on campus. So I look after now all the uh, graduate students on campus here at the seminary okay. uh, to get through their degree programs. It's like kind of my job. What classes do I need yeah, to take? Yeah, what classes to take. Yeah, yeah. What happens if I failed? How do I achieve this? All that sort of stuff. But then I'm also helping people look for positions, help them kind of resume reviews, 
and all that sort of stuff and kind of working through yeah. that. But yeah, so I'm kind of no longer in my little cubicle talking to online people. Okay. I'm now... You have an office? No. Oh. I, I, I had... <laughs> Well, you set that up. I, it's like, it's more, I'm no longer in my cubicle. No, I, I spend most of my You're time in a different now cubicle now. at the student center because that's where all the students are. And so I meet oh, them okay. there. So I'm, I'm now in the slightly more expensive, lovely You're building. You're the guy that walks around and is like, I'm the hey, guy, kids. I'm the guy that walks around and goes, hey, are you registered? No, <laughs> come over here. I'll get you registered. Yeah. Um, but the weird thing for us, the weird project that we had, and at, again, at the recording that we're doing now, this it was released. But we, as a family, were involved in the 12 Days of Christmas video. I want to ask um, you about this. We're a little past the, uh, yeah, the a little time past it. it, but I want to ask. My big, this is my big question about okay. that. So first of all, what a shoot! I mean, it was on location. Yeah, it had wardrobe changes. It had a lot of wardrobe you changes. You had for the church gear on. Then yeah. you had chiefs gear on. Then you, had, I mean, they had were all really, sorts of stuff. I mean, this was like a film. It yeah. was like a Christian movie. Yep. You guys were around doing different <laughs> things and stuff. But this is my biggest question. Okay, who's v, there's a VCR? Uh-huh. You put a VHS tape in a VCR. Uh-huh. Whose VCR is that? Um, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to. Because uh, I want a VCR. Okay, so you need to talk to uh, Zach uh, okay. in communications. So that so. they just have VCRs laying around? No, he went and bought it for the shoot. Where did he buy he it? He had to search for it, and I think he found like a VHS specialist in Kansas City that still okay. had them. That like, what's the word? It refurbishes them for yes. people that wants to use them. So yeah, you you need to talk to Zach in communications because he bought it specifically for this. Shoot. I'm super getting. I, I I'm interested in getting into collecting VHS mm. again. This is kind of like a, it's it's the vinyl for yeah. film nerds. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of podcasts I listen to that that talk about so, these yeah. things. And I've I've asked Beck. I've like if you can find a VCR, like a good one. Yeah. I might want a VCR for Christmas. Mm. And she started looking online and like, they're not cheap. No. I thought, well, you just go to Walmart. They're like 20 bucks now. No, because no, nobody uses them. No. No, you can't even they're find them even in the there. stores. I would talk to Zach because I reckon okay. he still has it. What I will say is on yeah. that shoot, I put the VCR into that player, I don't know, maybe 15 times. Okay. And then it's just one, like, three-second shot in the yeah. video. And you forget behind the scenes, like, yeah. we film things multiple times. But, yeah, that, that was good fun. We actually did go on location to just about everywhere. We, yeah, we went you were tailgating. Union yeah. Union Station, Crown Center, went tailgating at the, the Chiefs Stadium. You name it. We, we did it for yeah. this video. Now, what I will say is this was not told to us before we agreed to it. Oh, so, really? Yeah, we said, hey, would you like to be in the 12 Days Christmas, 12 Days of Christmas video? And we're like, sure, the kids will love that. Like, the kids yeah. will just enjoy being together as a family. Great. So this is all that we're doing. I'd already said yes, and then we did it. But no, we had a really good fun. And weirdly, it's it's kind of like one of those memories as yeah. a family will well, forever have you've got this video. promo video that, that you can What's really on. upsetting for me is yeah. in this video, there's a scene where I'm wearing a Chiefs top. You have which a Mahomes jersey on. I have a Mahomes on, and I throw an American football and it's on I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> and But what I'm proud of is my girls went to catch it and couldn't catch it. And I was like, oh, at least half of the family has not succumbed to the American pastime of American football. Yeah. How long did this shoot take? It went across three weeks and there was oh, multiple wow. different okay. scenes, you know, yeah. all told maybe, you know, five or six hours of actual filming time, but yeah. then traveling to different places. But yeah, we did it across three weeks as a family and just tried to slot in times. Yeah. What we've learned is that when you're on film, you forget how you, you have no ability to walk. So one of the scenes was just walk through this door yeah. and we filmed it so many <laughs> times because none of us remembered how to walk. And actually when you see so the, the video clip, there's like one second of us walking. And that's because all of the other film was yeah. trash because we didn't know how to walk. 
at one point we just said, Zach, whatever you've got, that's what you've got because we're not improving this in any form of way. But, yeah. <laughs> I have a residual embarrassment over, I did this video shoot. There's these like, Hulk hands? Like, no, no, no. Uh, I, I still, I'm hard. still super proud of the Hulk hands video. Really? <laughs> but like, oh, this was almost 15 years ago. It wasn't that long ago, but I did this Bible study for Lifeway called Abide. And they did some video teaching mm-hmm. things. They wanted to turn it into a video teaching series. So I, they, they probably this is the first time I ever done anything like this. They they brought me. There's a there, they had this warehouse studio thing. It was like some film company that they had hired mm-hmm. to shoot these things, and they had scripted these things out. And I'm on this big like soundstage looking thing. I had this huge yeah. curved deal in the camera. And like I, like I've never I'd never done anything like this. So I have these lights in my <laughs> face and the cameras that are moving around, and they've got this script I've got to follow, and they got a teleprompter. Yeah. And there was a joke they wanted me to do about getting rickrolled. Okay. And it was something like, I got to go. I think I just got rickrolled. I, and I could not deliver the line, <laughs> even in a way that I liked. Like, yeah. I, they can't, they're like, let's try it again. Try to say it. Like, so there's no real director. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the guy who's kind of telling you what to do and things, but there's not like a director who's mm-hmm. helping you with like your acting or anything yeah, yeah. like that. And it's not really an acting thing, but I just could not get this line <laughs> right. And it haunts me to this day. Yeah. It wasn't funny. Because I didn't know how to deliver, I think I just got rickrolled. Yeah, and I'll wake up and be like, I should have said it this way. Like, like you know, 15 years later, I know how it should sound yeah. because I've done those things yeah. a lot more now. But it just kills me that somebody's listening, you know, watching this thing, going, "Why do you say it that way?" Yeah. Well, there was no audio on our video, and I was really okay. pleased about that. <laughs> At one point, Zach did say, "You get some some good, you know, yeah. some good brogue there, in there." I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, I don't know. There was one. There's one little scene where he kind of pulls out the music a little bit. And it's a scene where he said, you know, just laugh and joke in the coffee shop and Miriam cracks a joke and I kind of give her a fake laugh. (laughs) And then what what I go to say is that joke is stupid. Like that's what I go to say. And then what you hear on the video is that joke is because he's obviously got me (laughs) saying stupid. But our kids, when they watch, they're like, dad, you were going to say stupid. So, but anyway, that was weeks ago and has no point in a January episode. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it was fun to talk about. When I wanted to ask you about it, mainly for the VCR. I wanted to know about the VCR. Our, t- our topic today <laughs> that we'll finally get to. that we'll finally get to at minute eleven is the state of gospel centrality. Mm-hmm. The state of gospel centrality. Been thinking about this for the last couple of years or so, especially thinking about it right now. I'm actually writing a book. By the time this comes out, Lord willing, the book will be finished, <laughs> or at least the the submission draft will be finished. That's sort of about. Departure dangers from gospel centrality. Mm-hmm. That's drawing from Hebrews chapter 2. You know, let us hold true, lest we drift. Let's pay attention, closer attention, lest we drift. I mean, it's about drifting from gospel centrality. But it's obviously for some of us who kind of came about in the gospel-centered movement, the gospel recovery movement, we're wondering, like, what happened? Where is this mm-hmm. thing today? Do people still believe this? Is it sort of receded into the background? Was the emphasis a necessary corrective, but not really a necessary first principles idea to the gospel-centered thing? What happened to the young, restless, reformed? I've had in the past, and in the past, I mean, probably like two, three years ago, I think Stetzer might have come on to talk about this with me. And I think we talked about what happened to Missional, mm. um, Ed and I did. And Tim Challies came on, we talked about state of gospel centrality. But now, we're, I mean, that was like two, three years ago. Mm. I thought, it, you know, let's bring it up again. What happened to... Gospel centrality. Well, 
Let me fire a question back first before okay. I answer it. Okay. What is gospel centrality? Oh, we, we are thank you for assuming the yeah. that everybody knows what we're talking about. What What is gospel centrality and yeah. how was it seen in a movement? I think that's probably the first thing we need to cover before we can yeah. cover, well, where is it at now? The question is complex only because I'm. there's really two different things to talk about. So my question is largely about this movement, which mm-hmm. I'll describe what gospel centrality is is something, as you know, I'm super invested in and very dedicated to and something that we rehearse on this podcast quite mm-hmm. a bit, but certainly something that I rehearse in my books and preaching and, and teaching at Midwestern and so on and so forth. I have distilled the, es- the essence of gospel centrality. It sounds like I'm making a <laughs> soda or something. <laughs> the essential oil of gospel centrality. I like to explain the substance of gospel centrality with three implications that I think are really key. I think there's there's probably more you could say. But the three major implications, like what does it mean to be gospel-centered? It means, first of all, to believe that the whole Bible is about Jesus, mm-hmm. which obviously has huge implications for preaching and teaching, and but also just personal devotions and those sorts of things. That if you're preaching a sermon, that it needs to have Christ as the point of the mm-hmm. sermon, the you know the gospel of of Jesus. So Christ-centered preaching and teaching that sort of thing. So the whole Bible is about Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. Second implication is that people change by grace and not by law. So you're looking at sort of like a gospel-driven sanctification. How is it that people change? And to be gospel-centered is to answer the that question this way: people change by the Holy Spirit working through mm-hmm. the good news of Jesus at the heart level. So we do change behaviorally, but the root of that is heart change, character Mm -hmm. change. And that comes about through hearing somehow the good news, seeing the glory of Jesus. So I'm drawing like from 2 Corinthians 3 there, Titus chapter 2 as well. And then third implication, our ultimate validation is is not in our performance, but in Christ's performance and in his finished work, which is really just sort of expanding justification out to understanding the imputation of Christ's righteousness that every day I'm not judged based on what I've done or not done, but I'm judged based on what Christ has done for me. That's my enduring righteousness. I am clothed in his righteousness. But also expanding a justification out just to your sense of how am I doing? Am mm-hmm. I, am I, you know, my sense of what Ray Orland calls my felt okayness. My felt okayness can wax and wane. I, I, I often feel terrible about myself, but the Lord looks at me in favor because of Christ. Not because of me, because mm-hmm. I am a sinner. But because of Christ, his righteousness is always my shield, is always my clothing. And therefore, this has implications for church ministry, right? Like your faithfulness is more important than your success. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it's Christ's performance that is your vindication, not your performance, your validation, rather. Well, I guess your vindication, too. So I kind of outline what gospel centrality is that way. When most people hear the question today, well— most people, a lot of people, I'll say, what does it mean to be gospel-centered? They're going to give you some kind of tribal answer. Yeah. I listen to certain podcasts. I go to yeah. the gospel conference. I read, you know, books from Crossway or yeah. whatever it is. And that's kind of actually what I'm talking about. So what happened to that yeah. movement? You know, there was a fellow not too long ago who announced on his social media, the gospel-centered movement is dead. Mm. <laughs> and I thought— he actually might be right. I don't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't like hearing that. But maybe it died. Yeah. And why did it die? Do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's if dead. You, okay, you don't think it's. Dead. I don't think it's dead. That's, well, that's good news. But okay. I definitely think it's it's struggling. And again, can can you name one thing that is the reason why it's struggling? I don't think you can name one thing. But I think there is something that keeps coming back to my mind when we think about this, which is 
that the gospel and how you've explained it in terms of what gospel centrality is, isn't actually enough for people. Mm. And I think this is the thing that keeps coming back. So a, a gospel-centered movement and therefore the people that are promoting it and therefore the conferences that you're going to and the books that you're reading and the conversations you're having, it's almost as if people get to the point of going, yeah, heard that, done that. Right. What's the next thing we need to be looking at? As if this isn't one of the things that we need to constantly be coming back to. I was actually at, at TGC this, oh, it would be last year when this recording comes out. And, and one of the things I was really struck by was actually every single sermon, every single breakout room, everything I was hearing was this constant refocus back on what God is doing in Christ. And it was in, they were based in Exodus. And just even going through the Exodus and being reminded of God's eternal plan for us today is seen in Exodus because God is unchanging. It's always been his plan. And everyone left that conference that I was talking to overwhelmed, overwhelmed by what they had heard, by what they had read, the conversations they had. I talked to some staff at the conference center and they said, this is one of the first conferences all we hear about is Jesus. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're kind of getting this. Yeah. But then it all fizzles out two weeks later when we're all back at home. And I think it's because... There's just this constant pressure to say, yeah, but what's the next thing? What's the thing for our generation? What's the thing we're going to fight for? As if we've fought one and we can move on. Where actually gospel centrality is a, a continual fight, a continual push, a continual thing we need to focus on. So for me, I don't think it's dead, but I think it's struggling. And I think it's yeah. struggling because people are like, what's the next book? What's the next controversy? What's the next thing we have to fight for? And even just over the last, what, 10 years, we've had major topics, CRT in terms of critical race theory. I mean, that was for a while a massive thing, maybe still is, but it's kind of one of those things, it's like we're forever looking for the next topic. Why can't we see that the gospel centrality movement actually impacts all of these topics? It's not that we need to look for the next big thing to fight for, but actually, hey, gospel centrality will give us a lens to look at all of these next big things that come up. And I don't think we think like that. I think we think this is this is one little box that we'll fight for. Hey, we're doing well there. Okay, what's the next box we need to fight for? I don't know. Is that what you're seeing, thinking? Yeah, and I think what prohibited us, or not prohibited, but I think the reason why we're not able to apply the gospel in a cohesive or even corporate way to cultural issues like that before sort of the CRT conversation, there was just social justice conversation mm. and then political division and then COVID. And what happened before that was kind of a balkanization that I think had a lot to do with market share, media enterprises. So what I mean by this was there was a time where we all we were just all sort of playing in the same mm -hmm. in the in the in the same swimming pool. And it was fine that we use different strokes perhaps, and but we yeah. were all in the same pool and we enjoyed being in the same pool. And then somebody said, you know what, we want to do this thing yeah. and it's kind of getting in the way of your thing. So we're going to start a pool over here and we're, we're still going to have a, it's still be a swimming pool. We're not yeah. doing a different sport, but we're going to do it over here. And so you, you had, I think, a fracture that took place just because mm -hmm. people wanted their, like their, their own silo. Yep. And I think social media, I think there's some cultural issues that played into that. Social media is probably just the hugest one of those. Prior to the rise of 
the specialization of social media, it was like books and conferences. Yeah. To some extent, there was internet, you know, mm. church services and podcasts and those sorts of things. But you had bigger institutions, and so everyone kind of like you yeah. looked at these two or three or four big institutions, and we all kind of played in the same deal. The social internet created now the ability to create my own platform. Yeah. Either, you know, even on my own, I'll just start a YouTube channel and yeah. it'll be me. It'll just be the Jared show. And I can, I don't, I don't need Crossway. I don't need yeah. TGC. I'll just be Jared yeah. Enterprises, you know? Well, certainly other organizations began doing that. And so now we're not just sort of like multiple mm-hmm. platforms. Now we're competition. Yeah. And I need to have this, the platform that you have or an increasing share of it, which means now yeah. not only am I trying to produce good content, I've got to somehow critique you yeah. or suggest that your content's not that great. And as that's happening, everyone's now trying to outdo each other and compete yeah. with each other. And then you start throwing in things like the justice conversation and police you yeah. know, brutality or systemic racism yeah. and those sorts of things. And now those become not things that we can kind of debate together. They become the wedges. Mm. You've got this wrong. Yeah. Now I suspect, and is this like the cultural fundamentalist? Yeah. I say cultural fundamentalist just to distinguish it from like a theological fundamentalist, although obviously there's, there's some overlap. But I, I think I'd say I'm fairly a theological fundamentalist just yeah. as you're looking at like the fundamentals of the faith. Um, you can take out the dispensationalism piece of like historic <laughs> fundamentalism. But yeah, the fundamentals as opposed to modernism, I'm there. But the cultural fundamentalist is just kind of this like, we're going to draw the circle. Yeah. This is where the faithful people are in here. And now I suspect you. Yeah. And so we don't even listen to each other. I, I've noticed this, brother, as I've sort of paid attention. So like there was a time where we could talk about social justice. And like I wrote about social justice in my parables book and mm-hmm. they didn't even raise an eyebrow. I mean, yeah. a lot of it depends on the, on how you talk about it. But like, no one accused me of being a Marxist or I mean, like yeah. it wasn't a thing. And then somehow, three or four years later, these national conversations are coming yeah. to bear about systemic racism or just racism in general. And whereas we used to be able to talk about racism and injustice, now, ooh, yeah. those are our buzzwords. Now you may sound a little liberal just bringing that up. Yeah. I feel like we've turned a corner a little bit. I'm starting to even see some. Some of the more strident voices who were very accusatory in the last two or three years, and they're now using phrases like yeah. systemic injustice and things. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You said that was Marxist three years ago. Now you can use the language. But, yeah, I, I think that has just sort of exacerbated yeah. things, the political division, of course, as well. And so when you have a movement that was founded on togetherness that's now been complicated by yeah. fractures. But I, I think – and I think that's probably the biggest piece, but – that's I never a small thought, piece. I never thought about it as a, as a competition. I, I, as in, I actually agree with you as you've said this, but I never thought that that would actually be a problem because in some senses, the gospel centrality movement is saying that this is way bigger than us, way bigger yes. than an issue, way bigger than a platform. And we can all pull our resources together because it's the one thing that we can all agree upon. So I, I never really thought about it as in, oh, well, different guys will want different things out of this. And actually, the more you say that, the more that that makes sense. Let me ask you this then, just on the competition piece, kind of twofold question. How how do you battle that? So you personally, in, in your writing and in, in your platforms, to not be the Jared Wilson show, not be the Jared Wilson, I am gospel centrality, rather than, than I believe in it and I'm part of it. How do you fight against the becoming it? 
And then second, do you feel pressures? And I'm not necessarily saying name names or anything like that. I'm more just, do you feel pressure from the, the publishing world, from the conference world, from those to not be that as in, hey, we want you to be Jared Wilson. We want you to write this. Do, do you have to combat that pressure or have you kind of stuck your your flag down and said, no, I, I'm part of gospel centrality. I'm not the gospel centrality. I'm not the leading voice. I'll be part of it. How do you fight that yourself? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I do a, a great job about it because anytime you're involved in having a platform at all, there's these temptations and pressures, even if it's not someone putting them on you, yeah. you when you have an audience. I mean, it could just be a guy at a local church. He doesn't have a public platform per yeah. se, but once you've got people who are listening to you, small, big, medium-sized there's the temptation to think, yeah, yeah, I've got something to say. I'm mm-hmm. a big deal, that sort of thing. Once you get into the public platform where you're writing books or you're traveling to speak or you've got some kind of social media presence that has, you know, some kind of, you know, footprint, the the temptations and the, and, and the pressures are greater. And I don't know that I always do a great job, but one thing that I think that has helped me, and this isn't even, this isn't a credit to me per se because it's not anything that I can help, I don't think, is I'm not very good at like the technological thing. Like my website looks like, you know, dirt. And because I I made it, I didn't want to pay anybody to do anything flashy. I did it myself and I don't really know how to do those things. So I'll just, and then when it comes to like self-promotion, so I know like right now I'm way behind the curve because the thing to get yourself out there is video. And in particular, like TikTok has replaced, you know, I'm not on there. It makes me uncomfortable. Maybe I'm just too old for it. But I think even when it was Becoming a thing, Vine and even just like Facebook or um, Instagram stories and those sorts of things. I just, I'm not comfortable doing that. I don't know how to do it. I don't think I would do that well. I'm not great on my feet. I don't find it interesting myself. I don't watch a lot of those things. If If it's just a guy's face or a girl's face talking, I'm not interested. But apparently that's... Yeah. What everybody wants. I mean, we're not, we don't <laughs> release an FTC podcast video on YouTube. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we don't do that where yeah. that is now fairly common to have video based. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. YouTube. Like I, I, I mean, I go on YouTube. I mean, apart from watching YouTube TV at home for yeah. our cable, like to go like on YouTube to watch videos, I don't know, six times a year maybe, but yeah. it's like the second largest search. In, I mean, when, when yeah. I worked in comms, you know, somebody said that like behind Google, YouTube is the second largest yeah. search engine, people searching. And I was like, I, it would never even occur to me to mm. to think about it that way. I would think about it only as sort of entertainment. But people live their lives on these yeah. sort of video streaming things, Twitch and 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 other things. Uh, that's just a world that's foreign to me. And so when it comes to promotional stuff, they wanted us, uh, you know, Becky and I, to do some kind of video thing for I think for TikTok for our book that we mm-hmm. that we did together. And we both were just like. We don't know that world. I don't think we could do that. And so they just hired some girl to, yeah. you know, to do some kind of promotional thing and talk about the book, and which was fine. So I think in some ways I'm hindered just because of my n- yeah. nature. It's not me going, oh, I don't really want that as yeah. a as a writer. You want a big audience. Yeah. As someone who tries to make a living selling books, like you want to sell a lot of books. I want yeah. a bestseller. I just don't know if the Lord has wired me he he certainly wired me with the desire for those things, yeah. but he just hasn't given me the gifts or the or, or the wiring to get them done. So, <laughs> so kind of taking that. So thought, I don't think that's a credit to me. I think that's yeah. just like yeah, just not good at that. But so. do you think that's therefore part of the issue in what we're seeing is that that this movement is splintering in the sense of different people want different platforms, but also that 
it's it's just not enough, as in the message is not enough. Do you think that mm. actually the modern way of living in terms of all of these platforms, do you think that is the source then of, of a struggling movement? Or would you say that that is just, I, I understand in your situation, but just generally an easy thing for us to blame? Hey, you know, this is part of my job. I need a platform. So, you know, these things I just have to do. Yeah, I have to make a video and no one's going to watch a video that will just say, hey, the gospel's everything, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's probably true. <laughs> and, and it's, I guess, are we actually falling into a trap that by using the world's means to get our movement heard in that very thing, that's the thing that's tripping us over? It could be. I think it's somewhat related to early on. So you said something about the people who were bought in weren't really bought in. Or yeah. they, it wasn't everything to them or it wasn't. I I do think that there was a large portion of those who sort of got into the gospel-centered movement or it became the thing for them because it was the new thing. Yeah. And even some so like I would even apply this to Mark Driscoll. Like this has become I think more yep. clear now looking back. I, I didn't see it at the time. I'm not trying to say I saw all the red flags, you know, that were taking place then. But some of the things he has said after the fact mm-hmm. and some of the things he said you know, during his time at Mars Hill, made it increasingly clear that he's in this to have a big— Yes. He wanted the biggest church, the biggest, yep. you know, uh, spotlight, et cetera. He saw this was the way to do that. Yes. He's he's very clever that way and a, and a, and a very clever strategist that way. When it became clear, like, this movement is declining—and this yeah. was before his fall. Like, yeah. when I'm seeing— Names like Perry Noble yep. and Craig Grishel and others on the Resurgence website. Yeah, I'm like, well, that's different. And I had come out of the attractional kind of secret mm-hmm. church world, very pragmatic, and I'm seeing a very stark difference between mm-hmm. gospel centrality, even in terms of like strategy for ministry and mission. A very stark contrast between that and the attractional world. Mm-hmm. And he's now sort of bleeding those lines. Yep. Under the idea of like, hey, we can learn from everybody, and we can. Yeah. But once you have people kind of doing philosophy in a different paradigm, yeah, it dilutes what you originally mm-hmm. were there for. Right. And so some of us were thinking, okay, he's kind of showing his cards a little bit. It's not really about all about Jesus, like yeah. you would say. It's about getting a big church and a big deal. And yeah. these guys know how to do that. Yeah. There's nobody in the gospel-centered realm who really has that. He wants. He's yeah. preaching at the at the Crystal Cathedral because yeah. he wants what Robert Schuler's got. He's yeah. You know. And 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 that's become even more clear after the collapse when he's basically Calvinist or yep. idiot, you know, a nerd, yep. whatever. Like, man, you were the dude wearing the yep. the Calvinist T-shirt. Well, it's like that was when it was, you know, yep. fashionable and it worked. Now he sees it doesn't work. He's re- he's going to move on to something yep. else. And he's just a slice of an example. I think there were a great number of people. The gospel-centered movement was was growing. It was big. It had a lot of publishing behind mm-hmm. it. A lot of energy behind it. It was you know, finding its way into the New York Times and Time mm-hmm. Magazine and everything else, thanks to, you know, guys like Tim Keller and others. And they were like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. It's a movement. It's yeah. happening. But they weren't really bought into gospel centrality. They bought into a movement. They bought into the movement rather than the the substance right. of what that's So on. now that the movement has passed on, and this kind of leads, I think, to yeah. where you were going afterwards, is just to say, like, the state of gospel centrality, I think, is fine yeah. because the gospel is yeah. More than fine. Yeah. The gospel is going to be fine. The movement might be petering out yep. because it's just out of fashion. I mean, I, yeah. I, I I realize this to some extent when I'm writing books and publishers are saying, can we not put gospel in the title? You know, the gospel-centered this and gospel-driven that doesn't really work anymore. And yeah. I'm like, 
that's fine. I don't care. The the, the title is a, is is a marketing idea anyway. Yeah. As long as I, you're not asking me to change internally internally yeah. the things that I'm saying and the, and the place that it's coming from and 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 I didn't have anyone saying yeah. that you know not to do that. Ironically, maybe not ironically, but incidentally, the books that have done better for me over the last several years mm-hmm. have been the books with the word gospel in yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Gospel according to Satan is one of my bigger yeah. selling titles. Gospel-driven ministry, gospel-driven yep. church have sold really well. Yeah. So there's still but then gospel, a desire for it out there, you know? Gospel-driven ministry, gospel-driven church. Um, church are both psychedelic, multicolored covers. <laughs> so that might I have something to do with it. I don't know if the cover has anything to do with I it. I mean, so here's, here would be my next question then. If what we're seeing is the movement per se can peter out because ultimately the gospel never will. Do you know the gospel will always be that? Should we be looking for a resurgence of the gospel-centered movement? Should should, yeah. should me and you, should others actually promote it, seek it? If what we're saying, the platform's a danger, guys have abused that platform in the past for, for themselves, for their own success, that actually people haven't really been in it. They've kind of been there, but, you know, it's more, hey, we're all going this direction. I might as well. Should we try to do it again? Yeah. Should we reform it? Should we mm. change it? Should we just go back to the old ways or should we just let it peter out and just keep going on with what the Lord's given us? Yeah, to the extent that you can orchestrate these things, you know, you're, you're talking about, I mean, obviously you can try to put together institutions or organizations mm. and coalitions and those sorts of things. There is a renewal effort that we can make, but ultimately the Holy, just like in revival, the yeah. Holy Spirit kind of brings these things about. At the same time, I do think holding the line mm-hmm. and praying that that will come about. So when you think about like when this, when, when the gospel-centered movement kind of began or began to build momentum, it wasn't like five guys around a room and <laughs> around a table was like, you know what, we should do a gospel-centered thing. Yeah. There was these certain guys who'd been doing it for decades already. Yeah. R.C. Sproul, John Piper, John MacArthur, mm-hmm. Mark Dever. Like there were guys at the time, D.A. Carson, Tim Keller, there were guys at the time who this this is was their paradigm for preaching. Yes. This was their I mean, because what we're talking about, I mean, when you go through those implications that I mentioned at the beginning of the of our conversation, it's it, it's just reformational theology yeah. is all it is. It's just reformed theology. But it became popular. How? I don't know. Mm-hmm. The Lord began to kind of do something among a younger generation who I think was coming out of an attractional mode. I think there's a lot of guys who felt like I did, yeah. like that doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it's predica- it's predicated on working, but it doesn't. Yeah. At least spiritually, it doesn't. Now, there there was a great number who just, what's the new thing? Sure. Yeah. But there were a lot of us also that grew up or were trained for ministry and thought, we don't want to do that. Yeah. We don't want to, you know, do the, you know, the Willow Creeks and the, mm-hmm. and the Saddlebacks. And something happened that turned us on to this, whether it was just we wanted the new movement or spiritually something happened to us, like in my case. But there were guys who had been doing it for a long time. Now that the movement has sort of petered out, there's still guys who are just they're doing, just doing it. reformational stuff. They're, yeah. they're putting their head down. They're not getting super distracted by everything that's going on out in the culture, the platforms, the whatever. On my better days, I try to be this guy. I, I'm not perfect at it, but I just I think if the worst thing someone could say about me is, you know, for 40 years, all I did was talk about the gospel. And even when people thought it was boring, well, yeah. man, that's that's what yeah. I want. That to, In my mind, that's the gold star. But there's going to be times where people don't care about it, and you just keep going. Yeah. And that's what faithful preachers have always done. Yeah. In faithful churches, guys who don't have platforms or book deals or whatever, you preach the gospel in yeah. season, out of season. You just commit to this, mm. and sometimes it's going to be out of season. That's just yeah. how things go. 
but sometimes it's going to be in season. And what's that going to be like? And you have to rely on the Lord to do that. Mm. I think things have become so balkanized and the the hyper-fundamentalist guys are continuing to splinter amongst themselves, which that's a whole other conversation. But the guys who like, ah, TGC is Marxist and liberal and— we're all going to coalesce here together. They're starting. Yeah. To, they're now looking at each other, going, ah, "I don't know about you," like, you know, or looking over their shoulder, going, "Where are all these racists come from?" You know, yeah. <laughs> which anyway, it's yeah. sad, but I think yeah. it's very ironic as well. They're now starting to police each other, and they're further, you know, balkanizing, which is what the cultural fundamentalist yeah. impulse does. You just keep drawing the circle yeah. smaller and smaller and smaller. At some point, that's going to dissipate. Yep. There's going to be a burnout on sort of the the YouTube talking head guy yeah. who really has nothing constructive to offer but just a daily vomiting of his opinions. Yeah, Culturally, that has to have an expiration date. Yep. It's going to shift even if like technologically those guys are going to age out or yeah. whatever it is. And there's also just the cliff that our culture is heading towards of moral confusion mm-hmm. and spiritual pluralism that's going to lead, I think, to major devastation yeah. culturally, certainly spiritually. The New Age stuff, the, the trans yeah. ideology, all of that, it, it, it cannot go anywhere towards human flourishing. Yeah. And at some point, there may be, Lord willing, a spiritual fertility, like, mm-hmm. a, like people are looking for answers. Yeah. And the people who've been holding the line for gospel centrality may be the ones, the ones who are there. able to kind of yeah. be used to create renewal and revival. Yeah. And I, I think the reason I asked the question is that this has been kind of my heart recently of helping others seeing to hold the line. We don't have to be controversial. We don't have to be the leading voice. We don't have to have the platforms. Yeah. We don't have to go to every conference, but just on this fundamental thing, let's hold the line on this. Let, let's talk about this. Let's preach about it. Let's write about it. I mean, you know, we're on the seminary campus. We talk about it all the time, but you'd be surprised at just how many guys don't see that the gospel's enough, that they want the bigger church. They need the yeah. the next degree. They, and, and I'm not knocking a bigger church or the next degree. It's just that becomes bigger than the gospel. And for me, I, I was talking just to our students last night at our own church. And one of the things I was trying to get them to remember is just the importance of the simplicity, the beauty and the eternal nature of the gospel. And, and and I feel almost that is our our duty, if you will, as believers in Christ, but but also as, as servants of the Lord in ministry, to bring that message out. And that is ultimately gospel centrality. And that's the movement is this is the message that we have. And I keep always coming back to 1 Corinthians 15. And I guess this is kind of, for me, the kind of bow on the whole thing. And I was speaking to, to students about this last night, that that Paul is very clear that it's past, present, and future in terms of the gospel, which means whether it's in season or out season, our message never changes. Whether yeah. a certain head of the movement's there or we move to a different movement, it, it doesn't matter. Past, present, and future, this is something that Paul's received that he wants to share. And that's for each one of us as well, that we are to receive it and we are to share it. And the thing that that has really struck me about 1 Corinthians 15, and it was actually a, a talk that you did recently, it's, it's this phrase, according with the scriptures. Yeah. Christ died according with the scriptures. He was buried according with the scriptures. All of scripture is telling us that it was preparing for Christ to die, to be buried, to be raised, to appear, so that we would know good news. And that good news is through faith in Christ that we can be saved from our sin. I think that's the movement. I yeah. think that's what we have to get back to of 
you know, whether TGC is the place that is promoting that or John Piper is preaching that or it, it, the names don't really matter. The size doesn't really matter. It could be just lots of different retreats or sermons or just conversations with people. But just getting back to that central focus of all of scripture reminds us that Christ came to die, to live, to die, to be buried, to be raised, to appear so that we would have hope in him of salvation and relationship with God. If we can be that, if we can be mouthpieces for that, whether it's books, conferences, sermons, conversations, it almost doesn't matter if we're always coming back to that one thing. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing is competition, popularity, splintering. It's always walking away from that. There's always some reason that they're saying it's, it's not it's good, good enough. enough. We, we disagree over here. Well, okay, but we agree on here, surely. And I think that's that's the fundamental. That yeah. is gospel centrality. If we can hold to that, the movement continues. If we splinter away from that, the movement should die. Yeah. Well, and all movements do. I mean, you know, the spirit of them may continue and they have fruit. They leave fruit. But institutionally, organizationally, these things, they're not meant for mm. eternity. Only the church is meant for eternity, right? And I just think this is a good caution. Maybe we can end with this mm. caution like what's worse than f- than failing is succeeding at things that don't eternally matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, you got a big subscriber base. Yeah. You know, you're, you're getting you're getting some you know dollars on Patreon or whatever yeah. it is. In the end, is that all it is? Yeah. I mean, if it's not about what eternally matters, that's that's actually worse than failing. Yeah. You know, preaching the gospel and not getting a big audience. That's m- miles better, eternally yeah. better than getting a big audience and not mm-hmm. not preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot more we could say, and there's a lot more I say in my book that'll come out <laughs> like a year from now. This is really about the book, but it just made me think about this thing and thought it would be good conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, dear listener, this episode or others, please leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.